Sunday, Surefire to host again, Aaron Downtown Brown. I have the now three-time returning co-host with me, the Kamish. Hey, Aaron. What's up, man? Hey, how's it going? Um, you know, I didn't mention it's nice to have you back again the three times. And I, I, I wanted to take the time to um, recognize you and con- con- give you a little kudos over your, your promotion. You know, I know we first first announced you as uh, as our blogger and uh, and then you know kind of having you back now on the show i think think we we decided we want to want to keep you you know on the, on the on the air and all the detail and um you know content you're you're providing i i think uh, i think we think we picked a good one yeah yeah i'd agree with that and then i you think what you're referring to there is i'm uh now now a fantasy analyst here uh with the sunday share fire team and uh, really happy to be sticking around and doing that. And you know, I, I just think it's more a little more fitting for what what really what I've been doing. You guys seem to handle a lot more of the you know the UFC stuff and the other gambling aspects of it, where the majority of my content, whether it be on the podcast here with you guys or whether on on, on the blog, which I'll still be maintaining, has been a lot more fantasy fantasy related, uh, more so dynasty in the off season. But we'll get a good mix of that uh, dynasty and redraft as we get closer to the regular season coming up. But yeah. Happy to uh, happy to be sticking around, and it's not uh, it's not too often that you get a promotion this quick somewhere. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. You've been doing, you know, you did did awesome in the the podcast uh, combine, if you will. You know, I think your content rating and uh, <laughs> your delivery and all that, you know, those are those are off the charts ranking. You know, Carmen and I uh, realize so. Uh, definitely wanted to give you, you know, get you a signing like quickly. <laughs> yeah, much much appreciated. <laughs> yeah, so we'll, we'll we'll look out for that forty next, but I think all the other measurables, um, you know, we're pretty pretty happy with. <laughs> I might have to I might have to stretch out the hammy a little much, little bit before I uh, get out there and run the forty. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, speaking about killing it, you know, also killing it on social media, you know, with with Twitter, uh, you know, we as everyone knows, we have the Sunday Surefire now on on Twitter, on Instagram has been live and Facebook. You know, we've been very active, you know, with be, being in a couple new groups on Facebook as well. Um, I have I'm seeing, you know, you know more and more as I, as I'm kind of surfing around the Web and stuff. There's a lot of people in a lot of need with uh, fantasy advice, you know, this time of year. And one of the questions I see kind of like throw me against the wall, like, wow, like think you might need to listen you know tune into our show a little bit <laughs> what, what do you think for sure yeah and i've jumped on some of those uh social media sites with you as well and, I, and i'm seeing a lot of the same stuff you know there's a lot of people that are really passionate about fantasy football and and uh, i think as time goes by more and more people figure out about dynasty and they want to get into it which is awesome we're, we're really happy to see people people liking the dynasty space a lot but like you said, some of these questions you see, uh, you know, they think they're asking for help on one thing, but really they, they need a lot more help than they think they do, um, which is not a problem at all. The only way you get better at Dynasty is to, is, to, is, to, is to play more and to listen to people that are that are plugged into it. And that's that's why we're here. We're here to help. And, you know, the, the greater listener base we can get, the better and the more people we can help, the better. So that's why we're here. I agree. I agree. So, yeah, uh, definitely keep checking in on the, on that stuff. And we're, we're you know, want to want to help on air but you know we also have that website you can also leave messages on our website too which i think is pretty neat now so if you want to leave a question on our website and, and record it uh you can do that now so we can actually bring those on the show and answer it right live on a show so that's pretty exciting so a couple new things that we got going on but uh definitely want to keep you know 
giving back, but being, you know, interact, interactive in that, in that respect too. Um, but moving on from socials, um, just kind of giving everyone an outline, you know, countdown is still, uh, <laughs> count down the days to this draft. Um, you know, we, we had to get together to kind of understand what we wanted, you know, what content we wanted to cover leading up to the, the rookie draft. And I think we got a good strategy here. Um, you know, before talking rookies, we are going to cover the exciting news we got, you know, some of these huge signings we, we, we can't miss talking about, uh, which I know <coughs> you're, you're dying to cover here. Uh, but after that, uh, we're going to go into rookie running backs this year to kind of give everyone a um, preview over these rookie draft prospects. And we're going to tear them out. So for some of you who don't know tiers, what tiers are, we're going to explain that. So that's that'll be fun. And we're going to do the same with uh, tight ends as well. So um doesn't sound like a long agenda, but I think we got a lot of material to cover and a lot of good dialogue. So with that being said, let's go right on to news. So I mentioned um, a couple signings that <laughs> I was kind of joking around with. You know, I think you said, hey, which bum do we want to start with? But <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think we'll start with Sammy. Sammy Watkins signed with the Packers. What 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 do you think with that? What do you think that uh signing there with uh Mr. Sam Slam and Sammy? Yeah, I think you kind of stole a little bit of my thunder and how I'm gonna feel about this particular player uh with your with your intro there. But you know, Sammy Watkins is is a guy who's who's been around for a while. Um he's not a player I've particularly ever been uh infatuated with by any means, but I, he's a guy who a number of years ago when I first started playing Dynasty was one of those guys who was coming off a couple of good years to start his career in Buffalo. Seems like forever ago, but there there was a time where people were really high on the guy. You know, he's since then uh he's had a, a million feels like a million opportunities to to make an imprint somewhere. You know, he was with Sean McVay for a year out in LA. He had, was latched on with Patrick Mahomes for a few seasons in Kansas City, as you know, Aaron, being a Chiefs fan. Um, did pick up a Super Bowl ring out there, but didn't really make an impact in the the fantasy or the or the dynasty community at all. Um, you know, his his best finish since his second season in Buffalo overall was in for PPR formats was WR forty one back in twenty seventeen, and coming off um, you know another down season where he missed some more time with injury in Baltimore. He's uh, he's joining the Packers and going to be catching passes from Aaron Rodgers, so getting another another opportunity with a pretty high fro- high profile quarterback. Um, Aaron Rodgers coming off back-to-back MVPs in case he'd been living under a rock and didn't know that. Um, you know, I guess what I like most about most about Sammy, if I have to say something positive about him, is that he's kind of the only game in town in Green Bay at the moment. You know, their their wide receiver room consists of Alan Lazard and uh, the corpse of Randall Cobb uh, at this point. So I guess for the moment, if you're if you've been hanging on to him at, at the end of a bench somewhere in, in a dynasty league, and you can kind of unload him now for really whatever you can get. Maybe you want to grab a late round rookie pick for him to uh, maybe try to try to fill some of that depth that depth on your bench with a younger guy versus a 29 year old receiver who hasn't shown it in a long time. Um, but you know, overall, I'm not too excited about this one. I think the contract details came out the other day, and he's only guaranteed uh, 350k for the season, which is is probably a lot of money to you or I, but you know, not so much in the NFL world. So I don't I don't think too much about Sammy Watkins uh, for sure. Yeah, no, I think he hit on a lot of good points. I mean, he's not had the career, you know, coming out of college. I mean, when he was with Clemson, he was like a highlight show where he was like the next big wide receiver. Um, I know he kind of burned me when I put a lot of eggs in one basket. I think I remember one fantasy year I had Tyrod Taylor and Sammy, 
and uh, that didn't work too well. I, I was, I was, I was kind of bullish with them, but um, as you know, that didn't, that didn't go too well. So everyone knows kind of his past. He's kind of been injury plagued too. He can't really put out a, a full healthy season, which I think that kind of alludes to that, that low contract. Cause I think looking back at it, it was like worth a $4 million contract. So, you know, it's gotta be, you know, contingent on being healthy, putting up numbers and stuff. So that's the only aspect I kind of like it. You know, I kind of like these prove it deals with players like that. Another thing I've, I've thought about with the signing is I think, you know, the Packers aren't in a position where, you know, I think Rodgers has made it very clear. He doesn't want to spend time like re, you know, rewriting chemistry with, you know, rookie wide receivers, younger wide receivers. That's why he wanted Cobb back. Um, he likes Lazard. He's like kind of what he's built with him. Um, so I think if I think it's a funny point in time where if it, it, are the is the GM gonna you know kind of you know button buckle up and and make their own decisions or are they gonna listen to Aaron? So I'm really interested to see if they they sign or you know if they draft a rookie or not. Um, if they keep kind of listening to Aaron Rodgers, which it sounds like that's what that organization's been doing, and they don't sign a a, a wide receiver. Or, or draft a wide receiver this year, it may actually be a very sneaky player. But then you got to start looking at the other stuff. Can he stay healthy and all that, this and that all over again? So, yeah, I'm not overly excited, but it does interest me slightly. You know, one where if you have them, it's probably worth just kind of feeling them out. But yeah, I want to, I want to go out of my way uh, to trade them. Yeah, I, I hear a lot of what you're saying there. There's um. You know, there is, for the moment at least, an opportunity for CMB to kind of step in there and, and at least compete with Lazard to be the top receiver there in Green Bay for, you know, a position that's kind of always been productive as Aaron Rodgers' top receiver. Um, I've kind of rehashed it all, all my thoughts on Sammy Watkins for, you know, thus far. Yeah. But, you know, he's an interesting little player right now, and you could, you know, per, my, my personal advice would be to move on from him if you're holding him. And, you know, if you can snag him on a waiver wire, if your league is still has it open, you want to, you know, you want to stash him deep on your bench, then, you know, he's definitely worth a roster spot if you're, you know, if you're bullish on the guy going forward. Yep. yep. So um, moving on right along to the next bum here is uh, AJ Green re-signing again with the Cardinals. Um, you know, AJ Green is kind of, I'm not going to say rejuvenating his career, not like he had, you know, a great. 2021 season but um he was you know he was worthy of some starting lineups here and there last last year um what do you think about him resigning again i mean i i I think for dynasty owners they kind of didn't like to see that because you kind of want to see younger guys like rondell moore um kind of flash up there and whatnot but they did have kirk um you know you know resign somewhere else too so i mean i guess as far as you know, who Murray's going to be floating the ball, the ball around to where that's if Murray plays, um, you know, I guess he's still another target out there in, in Arizona, but, but what do you think about AJ? Yeah. And he's, he's a guy, it's, it's tough to call a guy like AJ Green a bum because for so, for so long, he was uh, a mainstay of fantasy football lineups, uh, both dynasty and redraft formats. You know, he had, he had four seasons where he was a top 12 finisher as a wide receiver. So if anything, this kind of touches on stuff we were talking about a few weeks back where we talked about you want to get rid of a player as he enters age 30 for a wide receiver. Uh, A.J. Green's walking into his age 34 season uh, in his second year here with the Cardinals. 
you know, they, they do like to throw the ball a lot. They have, a, they have um, you know, three and four wide receiver sets on the field uh, a great deal of the time. You know, so in theory, it's an offense you want pieces of, you want to get some cheap exposure to. But this is another guy where I'm just saying, you know, I the memories I have of you are, are very fond and I'll, you know, I'll cherish them, cherish them forever. But, you know, it's time to, I think it's time to move on and a guy like AJ Green and, and kind of reinvest your, your draft capital and, and your roster spots in some youth. Uh, you know, with this, this signing, though, I, I will say, you know, he's, he's not coming back there to do nothing. He's going to be on the field. He's going to be out there, probably being consistent. But I, I really don't love this for a guy like Rondell Moore, who you brought up. And I know they profile as very different players. You know, Rondell Moore is a, is a guy you want to get the ball in his hands quickly so he can make plays in space. You know, he's about five foot nothing out there, so that's how he has to make his living in the NFL. Whereas A.J. Green, you know, he's 6'4", 207. He's an outside wide receiver. So, in theory, they don't really align too much. But, you know, I I, I was starting to get into Rondell Moore a little bit because it, maybe there was going to be some more vacated targets with A.J. Green and Christian Kirk moving on. You know, but just, just with one more body here in Arizona, I just, you know, Rondell Moore was a guy I didn't see it from on the field with much consistency. He's a guy who has to move with quickness and agility. And he just seemed like the king of catching the ball and falling down in his in his rookie year. So, <laughs> yeah, you know, the the news here it's not so much. Uh, you know, AJ Green's got to come in and demand a big target share, but I think you know just having another body around isn't a good thing for a guy like Rondell Moore. Yeah, I mean sometimes what you got to do in in fantasy too is look at you know I think we're alluding into looked at the players around them on that whole offense what it does to them. So I mean. At least, you know, if you're, you know, DeAndre Hopkins owner, um, you know, if you are a Rondell Mo, uh, Moore owner as well, you know, that's just like, uh, you know, you, you know what you're probably going to get with A.J. Green. He's not going to put up these top 12 numbers anymore, but he's going to be a solid, you know, number two for them. So, you know, what that means is, yeah, DeAndre's still the man over there. So it should it should make you feel a little bit better about DeAndre. And then number two is with Rondell Moore, maybe he fills into that Kirk role of last year where he starts running, you know, the routes that Kirk was running and he gets a little bit more reps and stuff like that. So maybe it's one of those where you maybe look at the other guys and how it impacts them rather than just, you know, concentrating your focus right on AJ. Yeah, I'd agree with that. There's, there's always a number of, of factors when, when pieces move around the board in the off season. And you know this, this one is, is a, AJ Green staying put, and you know if you're if you're holding a guy like Rondell Moore, I think what you just said in the comparison to to Christian Kirk, that's kind of the best case scenario where he slots into into that role and he's running a lot of those routes. You know, even Christian Kirk has never been a really a mainstay of a fantasy lineup. I'll say that, but you know, targets are a good thing, and, and hope I, the Cardinals do seem to be pretty high on Rondell Moore. So you know, maybe in year two he takes another step forward and he can maybe break that. Uh, that thousand yard mark, something that Christian Kirk was unable to do at any point in his career thus far. Right. Right. All right. So I know, I think we're both excited to kind of move on from both of those topics, those guys, cause we got we got more important stuff to talk, right? Oh yeah. <laughs> um, so moving on with that, you know, next segment, you know, I mentioned, we're going to talk the rookie running backs. Um, you know, they, we're going to, I think we have about 12 of them. We want to, we want to talk about, uh, I think we mentioned tears as well. Um, so what, what I want to do is I want to back up a little bit and I want to take a little bit of time uh, for myself and, and, and then uh, for you as well to kind of give a little bit of pre-draft strategy and kind of just talk about like what you do as a dynasty owner um, when you're either drafting or preparing for some of these guys when you're looking at this talent. 
Um, cause there's a lot of factors involved and I, I'm going to, I'm going to bring up three things that I do that I, I think this is my strategy. You know, it's kind of what I use. Um, I know it's, it's, I'm not, you know, everybody may look at things differently, but th this is what I got. Right. So, um, number one, you know, I think, I think when you're looking at players, no, number one thing is, um, you know, one factor for me is just looking at their overall talent. Right. So obviously, you know, you hear even in the, in the real NFL draft over, Hey, do you draft best talent overall or draft, you know, what position of need, right? Do you draft your either talent or need? And I think that applies with, um, dynasty as well, where, you know, when you're looking at, at where you want to pick guys, do you want to pick, you know, better, a better talent or a, a guy that's that landed in a better position? Right. And that that is actually one and two for me. Right. So I can kind of give like two examples. And, you know, number one, you know, with the talent wise, you, you look at a guy like Jonathan Taylor, like everyone knew, um, you know, his draft class, Jonathan Taylor was the most talented running back in that class. Right. Maybe debatable a little bit with Swift and, and a couple guys like that. But um, when he got drafted, you know, he, you knew that Mac was there, right. And in, in, if with the Colts, so some owners, you know, if they're looking at the, the next season, they're like, Oh man, I don't want to share time with Mac. You know, what, what's, what's going to happen with Taylor. So that's like a thing that you got to kind of evaluate. You want to go with talent or, or position when, or you got a guy like, um, you know, CEH or, um, you know, I think at the time, um, yeah, Akers is up there in talent, but he, you know, you kind of had a, a feeling that Akers is going to be a day one starter as well. So those two things, I, you know, I do a lot of back and forth with it to deciding, hey, do I want to do I want to draft by talent or do I want to draft by position, you know, where they landed on their team and team and scheme and, and you know, how they're going to fit in that offense. And then the tiebreaker I use for me, number three, is the eyeball test. This is kind of funny. It's not, you know, it's less, it's really less on the analytics, you know, cause I, what I kind of do is I kind of leave a lot of that up to the scouts, you know, like obviously these guys, these NFL scouts are getting paid, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars. And, you know, I don't know, maybe sometimes millions as well, where, um, you know, they did their homework where depending on what, what round they get drafted in, um, that's a really good, tail over what talent level they're saying right so what i'll what i'll do is i have a, a fun time where I'll, I'll pull up their highlight reels i'll look at their college highlights i'll look at their call um high school highlights even too and i just like doing an eyeball test and i like i like evaluating what offense they landed in right so like if it's a you know a, a bruising running back is it in a you know is, is he is he going to be a good fit on that on that team how they how they run that offense or not um you know i think it's a big difference between what type of coordinator let's say like with andy reed or you know some of those gurus like that if they can you know come up with ways if, if to get it to their wide receivers or if they got to just kind of rely on a deep ball pass like maybe like denzel mims of a, a few years ago where he was a great talent but you know, kind of just looking at, you know, will that talent work in that offense or not? So for me, that's kind of my tiebreaker. What I do, it, it it's not extremely detailed, but I, I think it, it helps me a lot to kind of make tiebreaker decisions where I kind of am looking at where they landed, 
um, their overall talent. And then for me, I, I make the final decision. Do they, do they pass my eyeball <laughs> test? And then do I like that in that scheme and offense? Sure. Yeah. And there, there's uh, you covered a lot there and it's, it's a lot of good stuff in there, you know, where but what you see on the field is huge because you want to look for those good things that they're doing at the college level, because you're looking for stuff that's going to tr- hopefully translate to, to the pros and the landing spots are huge. You know, if, where, where they end up is, is massive obviously to what they're going to do at least early in their NFL career. And, you know, you mentioned a lot of good stuff there. The one thing I would add to that is understanding your, your league when you, when you go into a rookie draft and understanding positions that are, that are valuable. You know, if you're in a super flex league, in all likelihood, the quarterback position is going to be much more valuable than it would be in a one in a one QB league. So those guys are kind of get bumped up the board. And when they do, it causes other positions to get bumped down the board. So other positions being, you know, mainly wide receiver and running back. And you as a dynasty manager, you have to walk that line, like you said, between what your needs are on your on your immediate roster and what you think of, of these draft prospects. And you know, we're, we're all we're all we're all, we're all short on uh, first round picks and second round picks this time this time of year. And because we dive into these players and we see guys that we like and, you know, you have to make those tough decisions. So understanding what your league values is huge as well. You know, and sometimes I, I let that be the tiebreaker. You know, if I know that I my, my league really values running backs, if I look at what some of these experts have and, you know, maybe they're the spot I'm in, say, like the 105 or something like that and. You know, the kind of the chalky pick at the moment is the wide receiver based on what you're seeing from a lot of experts. You know, there's nothing wrong with with reaching a spot or two and grabbing a running back there. And, you know, it'll, when you do it, it'll cause your league mates who are hoping that running back was going to follow them to curse your name and say all these negative things and so on and so forth. But, you know, you just do it because you understand the value of your league. And if they want that player, they can pay up to go get them from you. That's a great point, too. I mean, I think. Yeah, I mean, I think we talked about it a little bit in in a couple other you know strategy episodes we we talked about too, where you know just having that overall feeling for your league, um, you know, anticipating you know directions that other guys want to go, and I think that uh, you know, that definitely applies. So that's a that's a good point too, um, as well. So I, I think it's good to have those tiebreakers because um, instead of just going right, you know, one direction or not, but um, you know, hey. I think everybody's got different strategies and things they look at. That's kind of mine. I, I definitely just wanted to kind of say that out to the world and you can either <laughs> run with it or not. Right. <laughs> um, but then kind of moving on from that, I think we, you know, trying to get into the running backs here. We didn't mention tiers. I did want to, before we go right into it as well, I did want to see, can you kind of take a step back as well and describe, I know we're going to evaluate this based on, you know, uh, tiers. And I know, you know, if everyone, if everyone also read your, your, uh, content on the, on the draft prep with the running backs, you, you tiered them out as well. So a lot of this is, you know, based on, you know, kind of the research you've been doing with these guys, but you know, Hey, what is, what is a tier and, and how do you draft by tier? How do you evaluate by tier in fantasy? I think that's really important to kind of address first. Absolutely. Yeah. And when you, when you start the, the, the pre-draft process, you're, you're looking at all these different players. And what I like to do is kind of put them in different bins, right? Like, so you have your, your tier one guys who you're, you're really high on. You think, you know, these are, these are the guys I consider, you know, the top of the line guys that I want, I want to attack early in my, early in my, in my, uh, my dynasty drafts. And 
you know, it's obviously there's going to be less of those guys most years, and there are, and then there are another tiers. So you got to kind of pick out the ones that you want to put in that spot. But then from there, you're kind of just sifting through other players and kind of assigning them to lower level tiers. And and these tiers aren't necessarily uh, rankings per se. I think a lot of our a lot of our audience is probably familiar with at least a, a redraft ranking where you look at you know positional rankings and they rank running backs whatever one through you know fifty or however deep the list you're looking at is. But you know, landing spots where these guys end up um, after the NFL draft is going to be huge in determining where they end up actually going uh, or being ranked in, in your dynasty dra- dynasty rookie drafts. So in the pre-draft process, I like to kind of sort them out into different different sections, you know. And you'll see um, – you might, you might kind of get the feel early on here at least that it might kind of seem like a ranking show because we have some tiers of one, <laughs> at least in the early section of uh, both our running back and our tight end write-ups. But um, you know, overall, you're just kind of, you're just trying to sort them out at different, into different sections before you really dive into ranking them after the NFL draft. Yeah, no, I think I think you did a good you know great job um, you know describing that too. I, another thing I like to think of or call out too is like when it comes when it actually comes to deciding on some of these players as well. If you have these guys broken up on tiers, and, and let's say you got a you know, as it'll probably start clicking, as you said, as the way down a little bit. But if you got a guy in a tier one or tier, let's say tier two, even let's say it's a, a running back tier two running back or what's left on your board that you kind of made for yourself that you tiered out is a wide receiver three. Right. That also may help you decide, OK, well, I'm going to go with the tier two running back over the tier three wide receiver as well. So I think it's it's good to look at them also like cross position as well. Yeah, you definitely have to do to do stuff like that. You know, I, I like to keep my tiers separate. So I think the way we're doing it here is good. We'll, we'll give you the running backs first and the tight ends. Um, you know, I have separate write-ups for both of those position groups that you can check out on our SundaySureFire.com uh, website. Just check out the blog when you get there and you'll see the individual uh, write-ups by position group. Um, that's the only way to do it, really, um, at, at least at this stage, before we kind of mash them all together after the NFL draft and get a big, uh, a big rank, bigger ranking going where we cross positions. But, you know, that's the way we have it sorted for now. And, uh, you know, I, th- I think we're at a port here, point here, Aaron, where I'm, where I'm just going to dive into it here with the, the running backs. And, um, you know, essentially what we'll do here, we'll, we'll kind of treat this sort of like a rapid fire type session where I'll be doing a lot of the a lot, a lot of the talking here where I'll go through the running backs I have them and which in, you know, I'll let you know what tiers they're in. I'll let you know uh, what some of the strengths are, some of their weaknesses. And, you know, to, to kind of sort out what their strengths and weaknesses are, I used a, a few different things. I used their, you know, the NFL combine results. I used um, a lot of their, a lot of their game tape um, that I was able to watch in the, in the last few weeks here on some of these guys. And I also used, you know, what their production levels were in college. You know, it's, it's easy this time of year to kind of get, you know, all hyped up into what these guys are doing on in shorts and t-shirts out there at the combine. But it's also important to remember that all we really care about in the, at the end of the day is the, the statistical output that these players are going to produce on an NFL field. And, you know, so it's good to look at what they've done with helmets and shoulder pads on at the college level. So all those, all those factors are kind of wrapped up into these and I'll, I'll get it, I'll get it kicked off here with tier one. Um, I mentioned that we had some tiers of tiers of one, um, in, uh, in in the write up here today, and this is this is one of those uh, those tiers where we're just going to talk about one name. And if you've been paying attention at all in the in the dynasty off season, uh, you'll know that guy that running back's name is Brees Hall. He's a 5'11", 217 pound running back out of Iowa State. Um, 
the guy absolutely crushed it there for for three years, particularly his last two. But you know, three really solid years. Uh, he decided to come out after his junior season. The guy's got an all around skill set, uh, which is great for NFL purposes because there's not necessarily a need for him to come off the field in any scenario, whether it's you know third and inches or if it's third and long. You know, he can stay out there. And the most important thing in scoring fantasy points is being on the field and having the football in your hands. So the more opportunities you can get to do those things, the more fantasy points you're going to score. You know, he's a guy, he's, he's a really patient runner, and he, he, he takes the time to set up his blockers. And, you know, it gives him a little bit more time that way to see some lanes developing in front of him. So he's got good vision. He's a patient runner. And he's, he was a really good pass catcher as well, which, which I mentioned. Um, he'd keep him on the field on third downs and the pros. Uh, he cut 80, had 82 receptions in his three-year career at Iowa State, which is which is awesome for a running back. You don't see – typically you don't see guys, you know, do – you know, carry such an all-around workload. So, you know, he's catching passes. He's running for 1,400-plus yards in back-to-back seasons at Iowa State. Um, you know, nothing but good things to say about this guy for the most part. You know, we I, I did write a couple weaknesses here um, just to kind of keep it fair for everybody. You know, he I mentioned he was a patient runner, which is great. Um, but there's going to be times in the NFL where he doesn't have time to dance around back there. You know, there, there's the, the defenses he's going against are going to be much better than what he saw in the Big 12. So he's going to have to get a little bit more, a little bit more downhill at times when you just kind of get what's there from him. You know, some of the best, some of the best NFL runs you see are guys who, you know, they they only gain, they might gain two or three yards on a play, and you think that, that doesn't really help the, their offense much. That certainly doesn't help my fantasy team very much. But, you know, if you're not – if you see that you don't have much here and you can just kind of fall forward for those positive yards, it, te- it keeps your team out of those negative uh, game scripts. So if he can work on that, it'll be – it'll only benefit him at the, at the next level. And um, the only other thing I, I, I had to nitpick here, and, again, that is a nitpick. It's nothing nothing too crazy, but he's got a lot of miles on him already for, you know, for a younger guy. He'll only be 21 years old entering his rookie season, but he did touch the ball 800 times in total in his three years at Iowa State. So – and, um, you know, we did all we're also going to throw in here some NFL comparisons to um, names that are either still in the league right now or former guys who have been in the league some at least somewhat recently. And we'll do that for, for every play we'll talk about today. But the NFL comp I had for Brees Hall was a guy like Matt Forte, who was a, a dual threat running back there for the Jets, as well as the, the Chicago Bears, where he spent most of his career. You know, a guy who was another guy who, who was never coming off the field in, in those third down situations and can also get the job done between the tackles. So that's what I have on Brees Hall. Um, you know, he's, he's tier one. So, Aaron, I'll throw it back to you. And, you know, is there anything else that you want to add about Brees? Yeah, no, I think Brees deserves a little bit of time to, like, explain, like, redetermine. Yeah, he definitely in a, in a, a league of his own as far as tiers go. Um, for me, he passes all the, you know, the three three uh, downtown Brown tests, right? <laughs> like, he, he's got the athleticism. Um, I think for me, I think – wherever he lands, I think, um, I think he's gonna, he's gonna play, right? Like I, I'm hoping he's not landing on a team that's, you know, already got a stud running back, but, um, I'm at this point in time, I'm still not really worried about it. I I think with his athleticism, I think, um, even landing spot, I'm going to still be comfortable with him because just looking at how great of a runner he is and, you know, the, and then number three is the eyeball test is the games I caught and, I specifically wanted to just watch him on on watch some Iowa State games last year to just get a little glimpse of him. Definitely passed the test there. Um, you know his highlights are fun to watch as well. So I think it's very translatable to to the NFL. You know another thing is like him being a three down back. There there's just less and less of them in the NFL. Um, you know anymore where either teams are trying to find that bruiser 
they're trying to find that third down back and kind of split up those carries. But when you find guys that can be a three down back, like that's they're like gems, you know, gems in the NFL. So I think with all those factors you mentioned, but then, you know, that one specifically is going to be just, you know, that's going to be the icing on the cake is, is why he kind of overtakes a lot of those guys. Cause you know, you mentioned all the miles he's put on, but you know, it's, it's, it's because that's the style of runner he is where I think, you know, teams can trust him to be that three down, three down back. For sure. Yeah. And uh, let me be clear about Brees Hall as well. He's the only guy on, the, on this running back list that we're going to talk about today that I think is landing spot proof where no matter, pretty much no matter where he lands, he's going to be, he's going to be a guy who's going to be involved in the game plan. He's going to be, you know, he might even be a late day one pick. Um, and there's, you know, I, I would be surprised if he's not one of the first names off the board by, by day two in the second round. So, you know, this is a guy we, like you said, it was good that we were able to touch on him and spend some time on him, but he really is in, in a tier of his own. And, you know, that, that kind of brings us down to, to tier two. And we have another tier of just one single player. And I, I promise this isn't going to be a theme. This is the last tier that we have <laughs> for the running backs. That'll, that'll just be one player. Um, this guy's Kenneth Walker uh, out of Michigan State. He's 5'9", 211. Uh, this guy bounced around a little bit in college. He started his, his uh, freshman and sophomore seasons at Wake Forest before transferring over to, to the Spartans of Michigan State. This is a guy who's got really good contact balance. He's able to maintain his feet and you know keep keep moving in, in the right direction. And he's also good at changing directions when blocking breaks down. You know, it's you know, he'll he'll stay on script when when uh, when the yardage is there for him, but he can kind of improvise a little bit too, which is which is nice. And this guy, if you're looking for college production, this guy this guy really did it for you. You know, he he led the nation with 89 missed tackles last season, and he also led all major conference running backs in rushing with 1,636 yards. So the guy was a monster. If you turned on, um, you know, during rivalry week, if you checked out Michigan versus Michigan State, uh, that that grudge match, you know, he ripped absolutely ripped Michigan apart. And that was one of the top defenses in the country. He scored five touchdowns on the day in, in a win with the Spartans. So, you know, no small feat. Um, for especially against the Michigan team that that ended up you know right right up there with the, with the other top teams yeah, in in the country. So you know we showed it, we saw it on tape, especially in his final season in Michigan State when he really got that opportunity. Uh, some of the question marks about the guy are his responsibilities on on third down. He didn't catch a ton of passes in his college career. He only had 19 receptions in 35 career college games. So if you this is a you know, and this right here is really what keeps him from being. Landing spot proof, you know, unlike a guy like Brees Hall who can stay on the field in those third down situations, you know, if Walker ends up on a team that's middle of the pack or maybe they're a below average team, they're going to be in a lot of negative game trip situations. He might be the focal point of, the, of their offense coming into the game, but when they start falling behind by 10 plus points and they start, you know, chucking the ball around the yard, this is a, this is a guy I'm going to worry about in, in those spots, you know, especially early in his career with just not having the receiving chops. So, you know, overall, I really like the guy, um, but he is in tier two by himself, mostly because of his rushing ability and what he showed when he got that opportunity. And for an NFL comp, uh, this one's going back a little ways. It's uh, Willie Parker. Uh, majority of his career was spent with the Pittsburgh Steelers. You know, another guy who was kind of a downhill runner, didn't do a ton in the passing game. But, you know, if, if we can get Kenneth Walker to have anything similar to Willie Parker's type, uh, type career there with the few great seasons he had in Pittsburgh, you know, this is definitely a guy that you're going to want to take in the early early section of your of your upcoming rookie drafts. Is there anything else you want to add um, on on Walker before we dive into tier three, Aaron? Yeah, no, I think um, you know, I think you, you said that joke there, where yeah, we're not gonna we're not gonna drain every every tier, but I think it is. I think it's also worth to talk tier one, tier two, 
especially when you got guys, you know, just in a tier of their own. Um, Kenneth Walker was one guy I particularly wanted to take some time out to to talk about as well. Um, you know, I think you mentioned, uh, you know, a lot of his, you know, notable stats, the 1,600 yards. Um, it, it's, it's also interesting to me. He, he had a great 40. He ran a 4-3-8-40, which I was not really expecting that. I know, you know, you – you watched him. He, he kind of could run away from defenders in a lot of his top plays. It he doesn't come at you like he's got that breakaway speed, but it, it's nice to see that measurable was there. Um, but you're, I don't think you're going to really guess what sticks out sticks out the most to me. Where to me, what sticks out is a little bit of that statue is that five nine two eleven pounds to me, right? So. Why I think that's important and what I like about that is generally those that statue of running backs is, you know, those low, low to ground style running backs that have a little bit of, you know, muscle and bulk on onto them. Um, they are usually more durable. Right. So, like, uh, of course, you can't really always, you know, foresee injuries. But, you know, if you compare guys like that or maybe I know you said Willie Parker, but, you know, I'm also thinking guys like you know, Priest Holmes or, or Maurice Drew Jones, like some of those shorter guys, those are also very durable guys. And we're talking dynasty. I really like that aspect. So if you got like the one, two, you know, you get the second pick of the draft and you're trying to like, you know, give the farm away to get, you know, the first pick to get Brees. I want to be like too upset if you got to get Walker because, you know, he may, you know, just comparing their styles and different things like that. I may like that durable back that, you know, I, I think can put up some great production too. So that kind of stuck out to me as well. When I looked at his measurables, what he's done in college, um, you did bring up his receiving as well. Uh, I wonder how much of that has to do with the Michigan state scheme um, as well. So, I mean, hopefully he's able to <laughs> kind of translate some more receiving skills in the NFL, but I definitely like his statue. I, I, I like the five, nine to 11. Yeah, you like the like the bowling ball running backs, it sounds like. And, uh, yeah, there's been some guys in that build who have had some success for sure. And like you said, if, if you can't walk out of your rookie draft with, with a guy like Brees Hall, then Walker's certainly a fine consolation prize to to come out of there with. But I'll blast through the rest of the rest of Tier 3 uh, and Tier 4 here, a little bit more rapid fire than we have what we covered so far. But we've got a couple guys in Tier 3 to discuss. The first one's Rashad White uh, from Arizona State, uh, foot, 214-pound running back. Um, he moved around. He's in a few different colleges. Um, he was actually playing in community college um, before he made it to Arizona State, which is where you don't typically see um, NFL prospects coming coming out of. But in his senior season, he really blew up. Uh, he's a dual threat guy. He's got the ability to beat you as a runner. He rushed for 1,000 yards as a senior last season. And he can also catch the ball. He had 43 receptions um, to go along with 456 yards. So he took on a big workload as a senior. But before that was was kind of – Kind of seldom used, so he doesn't have a ton of miles on on the on his tires, which is great. And he showed to be a pretty patient runner too when you turn the film on. You know, he's not forcing it. He's willing to let his, his blockers get out there and do their thing, so he can make the most of his gains. Um, you know, the fact that he didn't have the miles on the, on the tires is a good thing, but I do wonder if an NFL team is going to look at that and kind of say, you know, this guy wasn't on our radar eight months ago or ten months ago, and you know what? What's the deal here with that? You know, why why did it take him so long? Why did it take him five years to to even get on our radar in the first place. So he is a bit of a late bloomer in that regard. And, you know, his, his contact balance was from that also needed a little bit of work. You know, there is, there were certainly times where I you saw PAC 12 defenders kind of take him down a little bit easier than you would have liked. You know, that definitely left some yards in the field in that department, 
Um, but, you know, he could bulk up a little bit, um, you know, at least round out muscle-wise and, and, and be better for it. And he didn't show great in pass protection. And you're going to see that kind of be a theme for some of these running backs. That's one thing that it's really – it's really difficult to be great at that in college because these these running backs are allowed on so much to produce or in Rashad White's case to catch the football. So didn't have a ton of opportunities in pass pro. So it's a little bit of a question mark for an NFL comp. We had Joe Mixon, a guy who is a really, really strong runner and a guy who, who, who can catch the football has showed the ability to do so. And uh, it's a good comp for, for a guy like white. Um, now moving on here to, to the next player in tier three, we have Isaiah Spiller out of Texas A&M. Uh, six foot, 217. This guy, for most of the season, was up there with Brees Hall. He was kind of like 1A and 1B there for a little while between the two as to, you know, who's going to kind of turn into the consensus number one guy out there. So, you know, this Spiller had a lot of really solid in his time at A&M with the Aggies. He hit the 1,000-yard rushing mark twice and just missed it as a freshman. You know, he's got a strong mix of, of, of patience and urgency in his runs. You know, he... He is one of those guys who can kind of figure out when a play is blowing up around him where he needs to get north-south and just kind of get what's there for him. You know, he's got, he's got the size. You know, if you're into those bigger running backs, you know, over six feet and, you know, 217, he can certainly carry the load. He did it for the Aggies for three years. And for a bigger guy, he also showed pretty well at finding the edge. He was able to get out there on the outside. He wasn't just strictly, a, you know, between the tackles type of guy. He, he could bounce it outside and, and make, get some big plays in that department. You know, the one thing that I think really hurt his stock in the offseason here was he elected not to run the 40, the 40 at the combine, but he did run it at his pro day and registered a 4.63, which isn't it's not the worst time in the world, but it does beg the question of why he even why he even ran it. You know, it's yeah. it's one of those things where especially at, at a pro day environment, um, you know, it's at your college for the most part. And they set these guys up for success to look good on their on their pro days. So I, I don't know if it was some bad advice that he got to even run it. Uh, in the first place, but he did, and that might knock him down the board a little bit in the minds of some NFL GMs. And uh, ball security was also an issue for him. He lost eight fumbles in his career with Texas A&M. So, you know, you, it's one way to get in, your do- in the doghouse quickly, especially if he lands in a regime where, you know, they don't have a lot of patience for, for guys putting the ball on the ground. You know, a guy like Ronald Jones, maybe, who, who was in Tampa Bay for the first four years of his career, it seemed like he was in the doghouse every couple of weeks for a mistake, whether it be pass protection or putting the ball on the ground. And, you know, so some of these, some of these, uh, these NFL coaching staff just, just have really no tolerance for that. So you know, that's something we'll have to clean up going into, into, uh, into the pros. And the comp for him we had was, was Rashad Penny, you know, a guy who, you know, he did take a little while to develop, but we saw it towards the end of last season where he was, um, you know, a really good runner of the football and can carry a big load uh, when it was, when it's given to him and he shows he's capable of staying on the field. You know, those are the two guys we had in tier three. Uh, we'll just jump right over to it in the tier four. And we're going to talk about um, actually a pair of Georgia running backs in this tier. We'll do them back to back. We'll start with uh, Zemir White. Uh, this guy's nickname coming out of high school was Zeus because he was just just an athletic specimen and just ran over the competition um, at the high school level. Um, you know, he's an extremely physical player. He doesn't back down from anybody. You know, he'll run right through you and drag you along with him. Really, the strength of his game was just in there being a grinder. Uh, and he has good vision as well, the second and third levels of a defense, to make those those chunk plays even bigger, which is which is just absolutely huge for the guy. You know, he's uh, you know he's a big he's a big kid. Like I said, out of Georgia, six foot two fourteen, and you know Georgia, uh, as you as you as you know, is, is a running back factory. One of these schools just cranks out uh, capable running backs at both the uh, the college and the pro level. Uh, some of his weaknesses, though, I mentioned he was an absolute freak in high school, and, and that's absolutely the case. 
Uh, he did, at the end of his high school career, tear his ACL. Uh, and then his freshman year at Georgia, he actually tore the other ACL. So he's already had a little bit of, a, of an injury scare um, to start his career. But he did rebound, I'd say, pretty pretty nicely from that. You know, he's like I said, he's a violent runner who, who did his thing. He did split time, however, at Georgia with the next guy we're going to talk about here in a minute. And he was definitely more of the of the runner of the two. He only had 17 receptions uh, in his college career. So it does beg the question of if he has that in his repertoire to, to do that at the next level, or if he, maybe he was just overshadowed by another guy who was better at that. And, you know, he, you know, it's just something to monitor as we get a little bit closer to, um, you know, to draft season here, just to, just to highlight some of the positives and the negatives. But uh, I think you're going to like the comp we have for him here. It's another former Georgia running back. That's Nick Chubb. You know, another big running back who runs angry, runs violent, and does really well in the yards per carry department. You know, if he can scratch the surface of anything close to Nick Chubb, it'd be a perennial RB1, you know, from year in and year out. I think you're going to be really happy with him, particularly where you might be able to get him. You know, if he's not in a high-profile spot right away, you, you could probably get him in maybe even the second round of a rookie draft. And, you know, it seems like good value for, for a guy like White. And I mentioned we were going to talk about one of his teammates. Uh, that would be James Cook. He is the younger brother of Minnesota Vikings running back Dalvin Cook. Uh, James Cook also went to Georgia, split time with Zeus. And uh, he's, he's a little bit smaller. He's 5'11 and just under 200 pounds. Uh, clocked in at 199. He was there for in Georgia for four years. And this guy, when you put the tape on, you see he's, he does have some of that long speed to, to hit those home run plays when he gets the football in his hands. And I mentioned that he was kind of taking away a lot of the receiving work from, from Zamir White, and that's absolutely true. You know, the guy, he, he had 67 receptions in his four-year college career, and, you know, most of which was – uh, really in two seasons, he didn't play a ton as a freshman and he missed some time as a junior as well. So a lot of that production is coming in two seasons as a sophomore and senior year at Georgia. Uh, some of the negatives on him, he never really carried a massive workload in college. You know, he was splitting time with, um, you know, with, with a couple guys in his time at Georgia, whether it be DeAndre Swift or, or, uh, or is it was Amir White, but you know, so he, we haven't really seen him kind of, kind of be that lead dog in the way that his brother is in the NFL. Um, and the fear with him among the scouting communities that he might get pigeonholed into a third down receiving back responsibility type of role. And I think if you, if you see him go to a team with that has a dominant running back who can kind of bang the ball between the tackles, he might come in to spell that guy on third down, which you know might end up being a good little bench dash for you if you can get him at the right cost. But I think this is a guy that's really landing spot dependent. And the NFL comp we had for him was a guy like Tevin Coleman, who – for a number of years, was a guy we were kind of waiting and see, waiting to see who he could develop. Who was kind of stuck behind Devonta Freeman for the start of his career, but did show well in the receiving department when given the opportunity. And then a couple more guys here in this tier. Uh, another one. This is a small school prospect. His name is Pierre Strong out of South Dakota. He's 5'11", 207 pounds. Um, really, just incredible production in this time. He averaged seven yards a carry in three of his four college seasons and rushed for sixteen hundred. 73 yards and 18 touchdowns as a senior. Just an absolute uh, an absolute beast out there. Uh, in South, there South Dakota State, which is an FCS school. Um, the guy was also a big play waiting to happen. He took the ball to the house um, for 10 touchdowns of 50-plus yards in his college career. So the guy's an absolute weapon with the football in his hands, and that was kind of backed up at the combine. His 4-3-7 40-yard dash was the fastest among running backs. And at 205, um, you know, he's not exactly a scat back out there, so that, that mark is going to – certainly do well with NFL GMs. 
Uh, I mentioned he was in, he's coming out of an uh, FCS school where the competition isn't necessarily great. If you check out my my blog, I think I uh, the term I used was, you know, it was great that he was able to run past future school te- school teachers and accountants and uh, <laughs> you know, guys of that ilk at the college level on Saturdays. But he he might he'll, he'll definitely have some more stiffer stiffer competition on Sundays. But you know, he did pass all the he did kind of check all the boxes and he did what he was supposed to do against those guys. Uh, he's not great at setting up his blocks all the time. Some scenario he definitely is new. To, uh, to clean up, you know, and I think that's kind of a natural thing when you're just so much better than the people that you're playing against. You just want to get the football in your hands and go. And he's not the most natural pass catcher, so there could be, um, you know, there, there could be a fear that he that he might not be able to, as smooth in that department in the pros. He The raw totals are pretty good, you know, 22 receptions a year ago, 21 the year before that. But, you know, this he really was a guy that just wanted to kind of put the football in his hands as often as they could. And I just don't think he was a, a super smooth in that department. And his comp I had was uh, Elijah Mitchell, another small school, smaller school guy who kind of came out of nowhere a year ago, was a relatively unknown. And then when given the opportunity in, in Shanahan's system, uh, really did flourish. Um, we have two more guys here in this tier. I'll, I'll, I'll bang out here real quick. Uh, well, this guy's Brian Robinson uh, from the University of Alabama, 6'2", 225 pounds. Uh, this, is, this is a mountain of a running back. If you like big backs, like this is the guy for you. He he really was. He used that size to full advantage. Uh, he was the guy was an absolute battering ram for uh, for the Crimson Tide on, on their on their way to the national title game. Uh, he's got good footwork for a larger back. He doesn't tend to get stuck in the mud at mud. Uh, you know, as, as some other bigger guys might. He did split time early on in his career, but he showed an ability to be a bell cow in his fifth year. And the reason he was split in time because, uh, like much like the University of Georgia, uh, Alabama is another running back factory. You know, it seems like every year they're cranking out a quality quality pro. The guys like Najee Harris come to mind and Josh Jacobs. You know, these are guys that act in um, uh, Damian Harris as well or in the earlier stages of his career, Robinson, during Robinson's time there. You know, these are all guys that are, are good quality NFL players that are doing well at the next level. So it's kind of not really a shock that Robinson um, didn't really get a ton of run early on, but he was patient. Uh, Coach Saban eventually gave him the keys to the backfield and he did a lot with it. Um, he does like for a bigger guy, he does run with kind of an upright style though, which does leave a bigger strike zone for defenders to kind of tee off on. And he got away with it in the SEC, which was good to see, but I, you know, we, some of those bigger linebackers and, and defensive linemen in the NFL, if he's running too upright, you know, he's going to get his claw cleaned if he, if he doesn't clean that up. And he's shown to be inconsistent as a pass catcher, uh, more likely to be typecasted in the NFL as a two down thumper, which is okay in the right landing spot. If he ends up with a good team, but um, like, like we mentioned earlier with Walker, if he's a guy who's not, doesn't land with a good in a good spot. He might be a guy who who struggles a little bit if he in, on those teams that fall behind in games. And obviously, like I mentioned, he had to wait five years to to get a chance. But like we said, the guys in front of him were all good running backs. The NFL comp I had for this guy was Chris Carson, a guy who you know he came in um, and it was pretty good for Seattle, another hard runner, and who who finished with contact. You know, he's, he's kind of – those injuries are kind of catching up to him later in his career here, but he did have a good a few good quality seasons in the NFL. For a guy like Brian Robinson, um, draft he's really draft capital dependent. We'll see what the NFL GMs think of him on draft day. But he's another guy to target uh, later in your drafts. And the final guy we have in this tier, and then I'll take a breath and throw it back to you, Aaron, is uh, <laughs> Jerome Ford, uh, running back out of Cincinnati, led the Bearcats to the playoffs. Uh, he's 5'10", uh, 220 pounds, so another another large guy, another bowling ball, if you will. And uh, he really impressed with speed for his size. Uh, he ran a four six, uh, sorry, a four four, a four four six, 
uh, 40 yard dash, which is pretty good for a bigger guy. Uh, runs with a good pad level too. He's not a guy who's, um, you know, running upright like a guy like a Brian Robinson. He, you know, maintained that pad level and and kept his legs churning forward. Uh, solid hands for a bigger guy as well. Uh, he didn't really get the opportunity early in his career. He was actually at Alabama with Brian Robinson. Uh, but when he got the opportunity, when he got away from all those other good running backs at Alabama, uh, he did catch 21 passes in his senior season uh, for for Cincinnati and was, uh, you know, obviously a great contributor for their team who really kind of came out of nowhere and made it to the playoffs. Um, but he did have to transfer to get that opportunity too, which makes you kind of wonder that, you know, it, was he just a situation where the cream wasn't rising to the top? Was it a situation where there was just too many good bodies in front of him? You know, it's kind of hard to tell at, at this point, um, but his draft capital will tell us a lot about what the pros think about him. Um, he had poor technique in pass, pass protection, which, again, isn't something that's really – I wouldn't say that's rare for running backs just because of all the other responsibilities that they have on, on a college team, and maybe they don't have the best coaching staffs to get that out of them. And uh, the, the comp for him was a guy like a, a Kareem Hunt who – is a, you know, who has, who's a little bit bigger than you think. And, and early in his career in Kansas City, he was a really good runner of the football. We think of him more as a pass catcher now, but I think a guy like Jerome Ford has that ability in him to to develop and get better in that aspect of, of his game. And I think Hunt's, Hunt's a good comp for him. So that was a lot of volume that I just kind of laid on you. Um, I do want to throw it back to you, Aaron. Do you have anything you want to add before I get into our last couple guys here in Tier 5? Yeah, no, um, I think I think it's important to kind of kind of just – go right through them. And as, you know, as, you know, for the listeners out there, just kind of, you know, as we're going through these names, you know, remember what, what tier we're talking about and, and, you know, in, in which segment, because a lot of these guys, you know, I'm thinking, you know, tier one through three are probably your, probably your first, first round guys in, in what I've seen in a lot of mock drafts and, and, and kind of what we're alluding to, too. Some of them, you know, maybe some of the tier four guys, some may be a late first, possibly too. But with the, with a lot of the wide receivers that we'll talk about in, in the upcoming weeks, I think um, tier four and on up are, are kind of some of my favorite guys, actually. You know, I don't really want to downplay, um, you know, the tier four and beyond because those are kind of the guys that can sometimes be sneaky, right? Um, so I think in other, other years, it's depending on where they, where they land on the teams and, and, you know, what their ability is, you know, I've kind of bragged in, in our other league, you know, I, I was really high on Antonio Gibson. He kind of came right out of the, you know, um, nowhere off the radar, whereas is he a wide receiver? Is he a running back? Um, but these, those tier four guys, I really like, I really like spotlighting on. And, and I, I like that you stopped at Jerome Ford cause he's the guy I kind of wanted to talk about a little bit out of all, all those guys too. He's kind of one guy that I'm I'm keeping my eye very specifically on, kind of seeing where he lands with what team. Because I think if he lands in the, in a real he's one of these guys that, you know, when I thinking back earlier on in the show when I said, you know, some of the things I do is is number two is, you know, after looking past the talent is that landing spot. If I think he's got some solid uh, solid potential for some playing time, I think Jerome Ford can be a, a huge sleeper in this this year's draft. Um, once again, I like those guys that are that can run fast, but they're also built right. So he's 5'10", 220, uh, You mentioned as well. So running that four four forty, um, I love that. Right. So I like the kind of those backs that you know they're big, but they also can run. Right. Um, watching them in Cincinnati, I think Cincinnati just overall was a fun team. Um, 
to kind of follow last year and, and, you know, being a, making it to a playoff team in college and, and Ford was a really crucial, crucial spot, right? Like um, in that, in that offense. So um, Jerome Ford, I really like, um, you know, you, you didn't mention he was an Alabama prospect, so he did get enough eye eyes on him to get to Alabama. Right. But that I think, you know, these days in these transfer pools that some players just want to, they want to, you know, they want to get traded, right? So they're they're trading themselves to another college, and he, he found Cincinnati, and the and it, it was a perfect, you know, match made in he- heaven, right? So Jerome Ford is kind of my sleeper that I wanted to stop stop you at and, and just bring up there that I, I really like Jerome Ford. I think depending on his draft position where he lands at, I really got my eyes on him, and um, you know, I. I also say don't reach on guys like this either. You don't really want to reach too far ahead on them, um, you know. But it, it does. There's some factors to look at, but he's definitely a guy that I. I mean, I'm just telling you. I know we're in two different leagues together, but I'm not. I'm not gonna, you know, show my cards too much by saying hey, I'm. I'm getting forward early on, but um, he's definitely a guy I got got my eyes on. Good to know. I'll, I'll pencil that in for. Uh... <laughs> Team Browntown's uh, selection and our upcoming drafts. Um, I'll try my best not to snipe you on your guy, but <laughs> promises. Yeah, I'll round up the, the last tier here. We just have two more names to mention. Then I'll kind of give you just a really, really quick overview of the two guys that I've, I've already I've already mentioned that I'm really high on outside of guys like Walker and and Brees Hall. Uh, but to start to your five here, this is a guy Damian Pierce uh, from Florida, 5'10", 218, Another really uh, you know kind of fits the bowling ball mill that bowling ball build that Aaron likes. He's uh went to Florida, uh, played four years there. He's a, he's really really is a downhill runner. Um, the guy who can, you know, once he gets the football in the hand, the guy he just attacks. Man, he's he's going after guys at the line of scrimmage and he's churning out tough yards in a crowd whenever you watch him. Uh, he had a nose for the end zone as well. He he scored a touchdown once every seven touches last season and scored sixteen on the season. And you know the, the only really the biggest knock here it was really kind of head scratching. Uh, I, I liked a lot of the film that I saw, but. Florida seemed to not really they, – they couldn't really get the football in his hands as much as you'd think. You know, the most uh, the most touches or the most carries he ever had in a season, rather, was 106, and that was in his junior season in 2020. Um, and he recorded more than 10 carries only nine times in his 48, 48 games in the swamp. So it, it does kind of leave you wondering why he couldn't touch the ball more if he was doing good things with it. He, he averaged – over five yards of carry, over five and a half yards of carry in three of his four seasons in Florida as well. So, good things when he gets the ball in his hands. For whatever reason, didn't touch it a ton. And uh, like a lot of these guys, the pass protection is going to be a question mark at the next level. Uh, the draft comp I had for him was a guy like Isaiah Crowell, who was uh, another aggressive player who got the football went right downhill. Um, probably a guy whose game was probably better meant for you know twenty years ago when those. Uh, those attacking running backs were, were more in style versus um, the guys who can kind of do everything and catch the football and be specialists. But, you know, I, I think this is a guy, if he gets decent draft capital, he can make some noise uh, as part of a committee. But the final player we're going to talk about here, this is a guy that I couldn't leave off uh, off our list. He, it's, uh, it's Tyler Beatty out of Missouri. He's 5'8", 197 pounds. And I hear Aaron clicking his pen to write this guy's name down, uh, which is great <laughs> that you're paying attention. Um if you like productive running backs in college, this guy, this is this is the guy because he, you know, he took on a big workload. He had over sixteen hundred yards as a senior, uh, fourteen touchdowns uh, rushing, and another four through the air. Caught fifty four passes for three hundred and thirty yards, which is really just a staggering number. 
Uh, he led the SEC in rushing, uh, which is obviously the most competitive conference in the nation. And we see we see draft prospects at all levels of the of SEC defenses doing big things in the NFL. Uh, the guy had great ball security as well in, in his time there. He had he lost just two fumbles and 513 college carries, which is really really impressive, especially at a smaller school like Missouri. Uh, natural pass catching hands. You turn the turn the film on, and the guy can just you know. He's running good routes. He's he's making line. He's beating linebackers, and then when the quarterback puts it on him, he's he's making plays with it, and he's tough to bring down in space too. You know the the weaknesses here. It's really a lot of this really comes down to his frame. He's he is five eight. And he's only he's under two hundred pounds. So, you know, it's really hard to kind of think that a guy like that's going to get a massive workload in the pros, despite what he what he showed at Missouri, especially in the senior year where he really blew up. Um, you know, the, the fear among the, in the scouting communities is, is he might get typecasted into a, a satellite back, kind of like a Naheem Hines type where he can, you know, he's really just out there getting, getting a bunch of check down passes and, you know, giving you some value in that regard. But I think the, the draft capital that an NFL team invests in him is going to go a long way um, in figuring where he do, where he ends up in rankings. And the, the comp for him was a guy like, like Duke Johnson, another, another pass catching running back who uh, made a decent little career for himself but wasn't uh, off the charts good. Um, so that wraps up the tiers for running backs and our discussion on running backs as well. I'll just give you the very, the very quick, uh, I have two names here I want to discuss that I really like that I'm, that I'm pretty high on here. The first one was Pierre Strong was the small school prospect um, out of South Dakota state guy was an absolute force in college. He, and he crushed it in his measurables at the combine. And one other, I, I, I went over in pretty good detail, but he played in colder weather up there and was just, uh, you know, just a monster that no one, absolutely no one wanted to tackle. Uh, in, that, in that colder weather. And that's when your fantasy playoffs are. And if someone goes down in front of him, he could, he could win a job and really be a factor. And uh, Rashad White was the second guy. I won't really rehash it, but, you know, he's a, he's another really good player that, that I'm high on uh, headed into draft season. No, so I, I got to stop you. I got to stop you. I, I got to bring up the pin click. I know, I know you called me out for the pin click. Um, I got to tell you what I wrote down when you heard the pin click. I, <laughs> Please do. You want to hear it? I I wrote down Isaiah Crowell, right? So <laughs> I gotta I gotta play back. You know when I when I hear this after I edit and and whatnot, I gotta I gotta remember who <laughs> your comp to Isaiah Crowell, and I gotta cross that guy out. So if you're bringing up an Isaiah Crowell uh, to this, I I got your point, but I gotta give you a little bit of crap that I'm I'm actually gonna probably cross a guy off my list. There, uh, I gotta I gotta. I got to give you a little bit of crap, but um, yeah, well, I actually welcome. wrote down sometimes Isaiah Crowell. You get, sometimes you just got to throw <laughs> out the guys that you don't want. So that's uh, you're welcome. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'm just joking with it. Just joking. But that, that's literally what I wrote down though. <laughs> um, all right. So, you know, a lot of, a lot of content right there. And once again, I think we did mention, you know, a lot of, you know, a lot of that also is in our, in our write up. Um, I like, I like kind of going back and forth and, and really like hashing out these guys and, and hearing them too in these different tiers. Um, you know, let's touch briefly on, on the tight end position and, and tear them out. Um, I, I, I'm assuming we can, you know, it is a tight end position. I'm assuming we can probably go, a little, um, you know, kind of touch on these guys a little bit quicker. Um, yep. I do know, <laughs> you know, they, that's another, that's another position where I think there's a guy, Guy, guy or two that's in, in a league of their own as well. But you you want to go right into the tight ends next? Yep, and I'll blast through these nice and quick. Uh, keep in mind here with tight ends, these are guys that, for, for the most part, they don't just burst onto the scene from day one. Uh, they they take a little bit of time to develop, and it's, it is a tier another tier one of just one player. 
that we really like who we think can make an impact relatively quickly. But the rest of these guys are going to be guys that you draft really late in your drafts or maybe not at all. Maybe you're spending some fab dollars on them uh, after your rookie drafts. And, you know, you just got to have the patience for them to develop. Uh, that was a point that Captain Carmen wanted us to bring up here um, on today's podcast when we're talking about the tight ends. So we did. Um, but tier one, uh, this guy by himself, it's Trey McBride out of Colorado State, 6'3", 246 pounds. Um, the guy won the 2021 John Mackey Award winner, which is for the the, the nation's top tight end. Uh, just massive production totals in the senior season, 90 receptions for over 1,100 yards. Uh, that was actually the most yards for a college tight end since 2013. And he showed the ability to make contest, contested catches around multiple defenders. And we're really profiling him to be a high four fantasy play. Uh, you know, someone who we really think can end up on the tight end one radar uh, for a few seasons. I don't think he has quite the top five or so overall upside, but I think he's a guy who at a, a position that's pretty desolate could really plug in there. Be a nice plug and play guy for you that can give you a top 12 season or at least a few of them here as he, as he develops in his NFL career. Um, so weaknesses, he lacks the wide catch radius of some of the, some of the other tight end guys in his class. Um, and there is some questions if he can win with speed at the third level of, of an NFL defense. He starts getting up there against corners and safeties, you know, and the bat at the, the top end of those defenses. And, you know, we're not sure if he can win there. Um, the Colorado competition in Colorado State wasn't exactly the best. So that's kind of a question mark at the moment. And despite his massive reception and yardage totals, he only scored one touchdown. So that was from what I saw, that was kind of a product of opposing defenses being like, OK, this guy's all you have. We know he's all you have. So he's not going to be the one to beat us in the red area, which is where a lot of tight ends make their bones. Uh, draft comp for this guy was Dalton Schultz, a uh, guy who took a couple years to develop, but when given the opportunity and a good offense, was very productive for your fantasy team. Um, the next guy here, we're gonna, just going to jump right into Tier 2. It's uh, Greg Dulstich, which is another guy that Captain Carmen was high on and wanted us to mention. Uh, he was up there in, in on the West Coast for, with UCLA and did big things in the Pac-12 as a senior, had uh, 42 receptions for 725 yards and five touchdowns with the Bruins. Uh, the guy runs with long strides. It really helps him separate from defenders at the second and third levels of a defense. Showed an ability to stack his defenders on vertical routes, and, and he could also track the football while he was doing that, uh, which is big too. You know, he can get open and you know, reel on those catches once he gets a DB on his back. Uh, and he's really good at physically engaging the uh, DBs and bump and run coverage. You know, pressing this guy was really difficult. Like I said, big frame, 6'4", 243. Some of his weaknesses, his film shows a lack of ability as a blocker. Um, much like the running backs, a lot of these tight ends um, are going to struggle with that. You know, and, and the reason NFL tight ends take so long a lot of the time is because they have a lot of responsibilities on the field. They're not just out there catching passes or, um, you know, taking handoffs like a running back is right out of the gate. Um, blocking is a massive part of being a good NFL tight end. So a lot of these guys are going to struggle in that area, at least initially. Um, he's also late to recognize zone coverage when he is running routes. And he kind of dr- had a tendency to drift into areas that makes catches harder for him and his quarterback. And a few times, he just had a few drops that were as a, as a lack of focus um, out there, which is, you don't want to see that, but it should be easy enough to clean up. His NFL comp he had was Jared Cook, a uh, nice, you know, solid starter there for, for a long run. Um, this next guy is more of an upside play. Um, still, we're sticking in, in tier two here with him. It's uh, Jalen Weidermeyer out of Texas A&M. 6'3", 225 pounds. For um, three straight seasons at Texas A&M, he was recognized the, uh, for all second team All-SEC honors at tight end. So like I said, n- another very competitive conference, um, and he, he played solid productions. Not eye-poppingly good, but um, pretty solid in the numbers department. Over 500 yards his last two seasons. 
and two seasons of six touchdowns. Uh, film shows a player that when, when you look at it, he can win with both his size and his athleticism. He showed a propensity to go up and get the football when needed. Um, there's all the physical tools to be a competent blocker, but he just kind of has to put all those things together. Uh, that was another weakness of his game was the blocking. Yeah, but we the, the scouts are pretty pretty confident this guy that he can he can at least kind of combine all those um, all those good habits that he does have to be more consistent in that department. Uh, there were times when his route running, we kind of broke it off too soon, which I do think could be an issue for NFL quarterbacks, especially the guys who really, when they tell you they want you to run, you know, seven yards down the field and cut back two yards, they want you doing that. They, they want you to be on time. Um, so if he lands in an offense where he's breaking off routes too soon, it's really going to go, uh, you know, right up the mail shoot of some of those quarterbacks. And then the biggest glaring weakness is 40 time was undesirable. He clocked in at 5.03, which uh, luckily for him doesn't really mesh with what we saw on film. So it's hopeful that that won't hurt his draft stock too much. Uh, these next guys in tier three, um, one, another small school guy here. This is Isaiah Likely out of Coastal Carolina, 6'4", 245. Uh, another guy who was insanely productive in his senior season, um, played in the Sun Belt Conference. He, uh, 59 receptions, 912 yards, and uh, whopping 12 touchdowns. So crazy production, which is great. Uh, showed game-breaking ability. Um, he had five uh, instances of touchdowns of 50 plus yards in his college career, which is great to see, you know, playing against some of those school teachers and, uh, you know, accountants, he was able to do, <laughs> do his thing against them, which is awesome. Uh, good instincts as well. Knows how to get to the right spots and plays break down. Uh, like I said, another guy with blocking is a question mark. He doesn't really finish blocks as well as he should. And uh, he's he, sometimes when he's running routes, he doesn't get his hands in, qu- in position quickly enough to snag the ball when he's coming out of breaks. Uh, and this is another guy who's going to be a project player. He's going to take some time to develop. Um, this was a guy I circled as someone I was going to talk about after we rattled through all these as a guy I really like. Uh, he's a guy that I want to target at the very end of a, of a rookie draft um, because I think that that's where he's going to be available uh, or maybe even a UDFA guy that I spent a little bit of fab on in deeper leagues where he has time to develop. And his NFL comp was Delaney Walker, another solid vet there for a long time. Uh, last player on this list here is uh, Charlie Kohler out of Iowa State. This guy was an absolute j- uh, jumbo tight end. He Clocks in at 6'6", 252. Uh, just a re- just a, really is, you know, for lack of a better, a better expression, you know, just he's a big boy out there, man. Like this guy, you know, he could go up and get the football and contest his catch situations, uh, but also had some soft hands and ability to catch balls that were that were lower, that were, you know, low to the ground, which for some big guys could be a challenge to get down there to, to snag those ones. But, you know, this was, this was a guy who was a big red zone threat. You know, he scored 13 touchdowns in his final two seasons and at Iowa State. And 23 total for his career. Um, so he does have that size and, and uh, he's really praised for his work ethic as well. He's a guy who got a lot better from his freshman year to his senior season. And he was fearless. You know, like when you're that big and, and you're in the red zone, you know that DBs and linebackers are closing on you quick and you're going to take some punishment. But he did a great job standing in there, reloading those tough catches, kind of figured he was going to get hit anyway. So may as well put six points up on the board while it's happening. And the weaknesses for him, uh, he does very little after the catch. Um, he really is kind of a guy who is, if he doesn't, if he might get typecasted as a blocker based on his size. But if you're thinking of a guy, you know, if you're keeping him in your bench for two or three years, uh, he is a guy who's probably going to be very touchdown dependent just because he's not going to be a target hog and he's not going to be a guy who's getting you a ton of extra yards after he gets the football in his hands. And the last thing on him, uh, he does that, that, that big frame runs with a large strike zone for uh, defenders closing in on him to uh, deliver some punishment if they can get to get close to him. And the, gaunt, the comp I have for him is a guy like Cole Komet, who is a really solid uh, catcher of the football, does pretty well in the blocking game, and you know we're looking for big things going forward. 
so that's the uh, that's my wrap my wrap up there on the tight ends. Did you have one guy that you wanted to touch on a little bit, or? Um, you know, it's funny. I actually don't, and I'll I'll, I'll tell you why. Like, because the the tight end position, what I you know, going back to my strategy again, I really stick to my my point number two with 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 tight ends and, and rookie tight ends, where um you know I, I I said talent, you know, landing spot, and then eye test really. I kind of focus with point number two with tight ends where landing spot for me, where really, really depends on where a lot of these guys land. If, you know, if they land in a spot where you think they're automatically going to be um, maybe tight end two, possibly be the starter. Those are the guys that I, I generally like to, to, to shoot for if they're kind of in contention to, to compete for the, you know, tight end one position on the depth chart. Um, so, I'm purposely not going to single out a guy because that's this is a position I really like to see how the draft goes because if you if you focus on on talent in my opinion um, that either means they're they're a really good receiving tight end or a really good blocker right they're either big and strong or uh, they can run routes right so as you alluded to that that doesn't really work too well in the NFL where you know tight ends they need to develop you know the great Tony Gonzalez said hey there's a lot that's thrown thrown at us in the NFL in our, in our first year, right? They got to they gotta uh, run routes. They got to catch. They got to pass block. They got to run block, right? So they don't – and they got to learn the offense too. So it really takes a long time for these guys to come around. Um, so that's why I really like looking at landing spots where I think you mentioned a little bit, of, uh, you know, in your dialogue too where, you know, you might you might hold on hold on to these guys, you know, one or two years on, on you know, on your bench, right? So um, – I purposely am not seeing calling out a guy because yeah, maybe for me, you know, if there's an athletic guy I really like, he may need to develop his blocking skills. So, right. So it, to me, I got to look at who's competing with them with reps and that's kind of what I go with as well. Um, but yeah, unless I want to be the patient, you know, go the patient route knowing, Hey, I may, might have to wait two or three years, but me being so trade happy, you know, at that point in time, <laughs> it's probably a good chance I trade them along those two to three years at the same time. So I really focus on my point number two and landing spot where I really want to see if they compete for reps. Yeah, I, I hear where you're coming from for sure. And, and patience is so is so crucial for the reasons that we both mentioned uh, at the tight end position. And I would advise dynasty managers, if you're in a spot where you need some tight end depth, whether it be a starter or you have an injury prone guy who – you, you think might miss some time this year, maybe an older player like a Zach Ertz or something like that. You know, you this isn't this isn't really going to be the class where you find that guy, at least for a, a win now roster. So you're probably better off spending your, you know, your draft capital um, trading for for an NFL tight end who's a little more established. Um, but yeah, overall, it's it's a kind of a, a group of one at tight end. Trey McBride there at the top is really the, you know, the guy to have in the position. And if, beyond that, it's a bunch of uh, it's a bunch of unknown. But you know, you never know. You might get a gem. So sometimes those guys can come from nowhere. I agree. I agree. So like, you know, you, you got McBride where, you know, I, I can see him going, um, you know, second rounder, maybe, you know, we have a tight end premium league, you know, you never know how early some of the, some of these guys may want to take a stab at, at guys like that. So um, I think, you know, the talent talents there, uh, like you said, but um, you know, looking at that landing spot, if it is like too good to be true where, you know, he's a day one starter, yeah, you know, maybe maybe you you get an early second or, or something for for a guy like that, like um, you know, Fairmuth of last year, right? Um, he, he was kind of a good story too. Um, 
but yeah, no, I think, I think it, um, it, it kind of, this is one where it's good to know the tiers, but then you got to kind of see how it all shakes out. Um, yeah. But then if you got a good depth on your, on your team that you're, you're, you're really not worried about, you know, not playing them year one. Um, you know, a lot of these guys, they really start coming around and like age, you know, a little bit older in their career with tight ends. I think we mentioned that a few shows back as well, where, you know, some, some of those guys that have that athletic capability where it may, you know, we, we mentioned it takes, takes time for those guys to develop where they might start off as third on the depth chart and it won't be like another three or four years before they, they're a starter somewhere else on another, you know, after their rookie contract or something like that. Um, but it's also, you know, you can't forget about the tight ends. They're, they're an important part of your lineup. Um, you know, you, you didn't mention, you know, how durable these guys are as well. So it's, it is, you know, you gotta, you gotta have backup plans and especially, um, you know, it's nice to nab these, these young guys, hold them on, on your team, you know, until they become prevalent where, you know, you can either use them for a great trade later on, or you're just ready to use them at that point. Yeah, for sure. It, it, you got to do the exercise. You got to do your homework every year and, and figure out what guys you like at every position and tight ends. No different. You know, overall, I think this was a, a really good exercise and kind of combing through the running backs and the tight ends and just getting getting the right guys on your radar, guys that you, you want to keep up on heading into the actual draft. And we'll see where they land and we'll see where they shake out. And the draft is coming up here. It's it's uh, a week from Thursday. So it's, you know, we're, we're under 10 days away from, from draft day here. So it's uh, it's good, that, good, good to do this exercise now. I'll do have write-ups on receivers and quarterbacks coming up on the blog, uh, you know, in the next week or so. So you'll get all that pre-draft content. We'll do it in tiers. We'll talk about those two position groups, receiver and quarterback, next week. You know, really, uh, really is time to be in full-blown scouting mode. And, uh, you know, maybe after the draft, we'll, uh, we'll get a three-way, uh, three-way mock draft going. Yeah, no, I think that's a good that's a good strategy. I think I think you already kind of called it out. We got you know we got the wide receivers to talk about next. I think I, I mean I think knowing all you know that this class with them, we'll, we'll probably spend you know a whole episode talking wide receivers, and then we got the quarterbacks. You know can't can't forget about quarterbacks, and then uh, you know and then there's the draft, right? So I think having a mock draft is fun to do. We'll try to maybe get one or two rounds in. Uh, and an upcoming episode post draft too. I think that'll be fun, fun to do when once Captain Carmen comes back. Uh, I'm sure we'll 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 have some fun dialogue going going you know back and forth with that. So with that being said, hey, until until next week, um, you know we 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 did say we we enjoy all the interaction going on with social media, the website. Hey, grab some shirts too. Been been seeing some pics of people getting their shirts in already. So. Grab a parlay shirt or a Sunday Surefire shirt. Um, that, that's you know pretty pretty fun to to grab. But until then, um, and like I said, in the great words of Captain Carmen, peace. <laughs>